This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, hey. Come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're going to talk about the Ohio State secondary on this podcast as we work our way through the interviews from last week. That means mostly Tim Walton and Perry Eliano on this podcast. We also have the NFL Combine invites that are out. We also have some Jim Knowles conversation about the secondary. This will be secondary focused, and I just want to give people a heads up. I do have opinions about Brian Ferentz and Iowa. (laughs) And I expressed them on the free episode of the College Football Survivor Show, which is up in your podcast feed right now. So that is a national show. Shahan and I this week ranked, we each ranked our five best coordinator combos in college football, which was based in part on Alabama hiring two new coordinators this offseason, which is kind of a big deal. We talked a little bit about what if Todd Monken leaves Georgia, but Brian Ferentz fit better there. This is not an Iowa podcast, no matter how angry it makes me at times. So if you want to hear what I have to say, go listen to the College Football Survivor Show. The first 20 minutes is not all yelling, but a lot of yelling. But here, Nathan, where we want to talk about Ohio State, and let's quickly talk about the Combine, where the Buckeyes have eight players invited to the combine. I think that is tied for the seventh most players. Bama has 13. Georgia has 12. It's the second straight year that Ohio State did not hit double digits after hitting double digits in combine invites. I think the four previous years to that. Let's talk about the individuals. First of all, the eight guys who did get the invites and were you surprised by anybody who did not get an invite, Nathan? It's not just a a dwindling number of invites, but it's also a split in who the invites are that tells you, I think, something about where this program is right now. Uh, You know, obviously C.J. Stroud, obviously Jackson Smith and Jigba, Paris Johnson Jr., Dewan Jones, and Luke Whipler all going on offense, and then uh, Zach Harrison, Ronnie Hickman, and then maybe the one that I wouldn't call it a surprise, but Cam Brown getting an invite when uh, Teron Vincent and Tanner McAllister did not. Not, a, not Again, not a surprise necessarily that any one of those guys would go or not go. But I thought maybe Vincent especially, fair or not, just because of some connections that he has, might have been able to to sneak an invite in. But those connections will probably help him with with workouts and stuff like that anyway. But again, that tells you, you know, five against three. It's not a, a huge disparity, 
but we've been sort of clamoring and talking about how long it's been since Ohio State has seen high draft picks on the defensive side now. And this is another example of that. Like none of those, you know, we've got four or five, four guys for sure who have at least fleetingly been mentioned as possible first round guys between Stroud, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Paris Johnson. And then I don't know how realistic it is for Dewan Jones, but there are people who will speak that into existence. And then really, you know, day two at best for anybody on the defensive side. So combine invite does not equal being drafted, not a combine combine invite does not equal not being drafted, but Steven, it's an indication. And the thing about this is this is based off the NFL's perception of you that you built up over your college career. So sometimes if a guy is a late round pick and then pops, that's great. But it's almost like to me, not an anti-reflection of the school, but sort of like, well, how come the school did not create an environment for him to show in college that he should have been a higher pick? It's not a criticism, but to me, it's not, on some level, it's like, I don't know, man, why did Michigan get more out of Tom Brady? It's like, oh, is this like this weird looking dumpy guy who's a sixth rounder? I don't know. There's a hot, finally, we got a fresh Tom Brady take. What's up, Michigan? You blew it. You had the greatest quarterback of all time, and you were like, I don't know. He's a co-starter. So I do think this perception as you leave your program, Stephen, matters. And this is one way to evaluate that. Since 2016, here are the number of Ohio State Combine invites. 14, 8, 11, 10, 11, 13, and the last two years, 7 and 8. Does that tell us anything, Stephen, about the perceived talent level of Ohio State football right now? Yes. Do I think it's getting better? I I think that as well. I think there might be a significant uptick next year. But we're in that little window here still of, you know, there's still a transition of Urban Meyer, Ryan Day from a recruiting standpoint. But then also there just have been some misses with some guys in terms of NFL-level talent especially on the defensive side, which felt like you just, what'd you say the last two years, seven and eight, the bulk of that's offense. Probably that's, I'm, I'm that's 15 guys off the top of my head. I could you probably nine or 10 of them are offensive guys. So the real question, it's, it's been the, the defensive development has just not been there for a wide variety of different reasons that we've been over and over again on this podcast the last couple of years here, but maybe that changes in the future, but this feels like the last little remnants of what's been the problem with Ohio State. The defense hasn't been good. Why? Because there's not enough NFL-level players. How do you know there's not enough NFL-level players? Well, look at the combine. Look at the NFL draft the last couple of years. I also have another take for you. Let's just do new takes. The Ohio State Buckeyes, the scrappy underdogs of the 2022 college football season because they have the fewest combine invites, Nathan, of any playoff team. Georgia had 12. Michigan and TCU each have nine, and the underdog fighting Buckeyes somehow weaseled their way into the playoff with only eight combine invites. Meanwhile, the big bad Alabama Crimson Tide had 13 invites. They're on track potentially to have their greatest draft class ever. They've never had more than 12 guys drafted. Ohio State, we know, has had like 14 or whatever it is at times. Bama, Nathan, is looking at its greatest draft class ever. Didn't even make the playoff. Lost to who'd they lose to? They lost to Brian Kelly. They lost like, what's up? So maybe we just, we had a complete misperception of this entire season. I think, I think Cincinnati had eight invites last year when they made the playoff. 
Ohio State football is – no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> the scrappy underdog Buckeyes, Bama 13, Georgia 12, Michigan TCU, Florida and LSU 9 each, Ohio State and Clemson 8 each, Penn State, Maryland, Oklahoma, Tennessee 7 each. I don't know, man. This is just Nathan. It's great coaching. It's great camaraderie because the talent is not at the top. So, yeah, is there a, an argument to be made that the the problem has already been somewhat corrected if you can go 11-2 and two and then get to the playoff the next year with this few NFL guys on the verge of going? You know what I mean? Like, is there something to be said for that? I don't know. I think the, the answer is probably actually somewhere in between because I think that Ohio State is, is still – the baseline has still been there. It's a matter of whether that gap of four or five guys per year – that are, you know, NFL aspirant to that level would be putting over the top in some of these games? I think the answer is yes. And even if you go back and pull out some guys like Harry Miller, if he had stayed on his path, would have probably been an NFL combine guy. Jamison Williams certainly would have been an NFL combine guy, I think, even if he had stayed at Ohio State. Those That level of talent, still talking about the offensive side of the ball, yeah. it's still a, def- a defensive deficiency. That's still where I think this shows up the most, that if Ohio State... Like, who would not say that if Iowa State had had two more, like, NFL-caliber defensive players the past two years, that would have made a significant difference? Well, I, I understand the sentiment we're getting at here, especially with the Alabama having so many and not making the playoff. Ohio State had some years where they were in the teens and they didn't make the playoff either. So, I don't, it's 18, no, 17. They had high-level yeah, well, numbers. We, did, so. we didn't call them scrappy underdogs. These are the scrappy underdog 2020. I'm going to go back yeah. and write a book about – <laughs> They're one point loss to Georgia, the scrappy underdog Buckeyes. Now, let's just one of the things. Kate Stover could have gone to the NFL. That's nine. Mm-hmm. Tommy Eichenberg could have yep. gone. That's 10. Yep. That's true. Steel yeah. Chambers probably could have gone. That's, that's, I think he would have gotten an invite. That's probably 11, right? So we know that. Then next year, JT and Lathan. Jack and Travion. And all Marvin on, and Emeka and like all these guys, they're going to have. Well, I think they'll probably get back to double digits because there's a couple guys who stayed, maybe not surprisingly, but who could have gone. And then there's going to be some third year guys who are just next year who are just absolutely going to go. So they'll probably get the double digits again, Nathan. But again, you know, seven and eight is below where Ohio State typically is, bottom line. I do think, though, it, it's important to remember like, if you were to make a list of Ohio State's best players at the end of the Georgia game guys who were on the roster at that point that a lot of the guys now, obviously Stroud Jackson Smith and Jigba Paris Johnson, those guys would have ranked very, very high, but then you start getting into Marvin Harrison jr. And Trevion Henderson and JT to and a lot of other guys who are still going to be back for this team next year. So it, while it is, while those, those two back-to-back single digit years, uh, do tell us something. I don't think they tell the whole story. I think we'll get a better view of that because I think you would go back to right that 2014, 15, 16 time and see that a team was able to have great success, even though it didn't necessarily the, the NFL um, exodus came after because that team was so good of young guys. Yeah. Even like, yeah, they, they didn't send a bunch of guys to the combine like, in 15 after the national mm-hmm. championship because they all stayed. And then they right. said 14 in that remarkable 16 draft class for Ohio State. But again, I can remember being at the combine some years and writing about this stuff where it's like, hey, Ohio State has double digit combine invites and Michigan has three. And like that would be a thing. So it's a continuation of 
the reminder that Michigan is much better. Michigan has more combine invites. I think again, I think the second straight yep. year more than Ohio State. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that Ohio State has no talent. It just means the perception of the program from the NFL. And the NFL is not messing around. The NFL doesn't give you bonus points. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I, I guess it helped TCU. They had a good season that they got nine, but they also had like a bunch of good players who probably overachieved their recruiting status and were good players. The NFL is a hard, cold, hard business. They invited the 319 best players. They don't care where you went to school. And Ohio State had the fewest invites among the playoff team. So that's just where it is. And there's a good side of that and a bad side to that. And so there was a time where the gap between Ohio State and Michigan was huge. And now that it's not a huge gap anymore. It's about the same, whether it's 8, 9, 10 or whatever. So anyway, it's a point worth making. We will have combine coverage from an Ohio State perspective, certainly from an NFL and Cleveland Browns perspective. That is early March. We will be there. We will be writing from there. We will be texting from there. We will be podcasting from there. And we will be recording videos for our YouTube channel, where we also currently are putting versions of this. If it's like, oh, man, I really just want to see faces. I love these guys' voices. I love their voices. But I want to see faces. You can go to our YouTube channel. We're putting up clips from this very podcast. Or if you have a person who's like, I don't do podcasts. I only watch YouTube. Tell them. Cleveland.com, Ohio State football. Search for it on YouTube. You'll find it. Nathan's making those videos and putting them up. But make sure it's a good time to be subscribed for the text, even to try it for the combine, because there's some stuff popping over there. 614-350-3315. Get a free trial, and we'll be coming up on the combine soon. All right, quick break. When we come back, let's talk Ohio State secondary next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Doug Nathan and Steven back. I will say, maybe this is a personal failing of mine, Nathan. I think I Probably. might have what I talk. <laughs> I think I have less of a handle on Tim Walton as a coach than I have had on an Ohio State assistant for a while. He seems like a little bit of a low key dude. He played mm-hmm. at Ohio State. He's been in the NFL basically his whole career, and he came in at a really important position for Ohio State as corners coach. But it took Kerry Combs 15 minutes of being in the building for people to have a handle on Kerry Combs. I'm not saying that's better or worse than Tim Walton, but Nathan, when Tim Walton sits down and talks for 20 minutes about the state of Ohio State cornerbacks, like that's kind of valuable because I – I still don't feel like I've wrapped my hands exactly around what he's like as a coach, what his strategies are, how he builds relationships, you know, and, and this is a guy who's had a great career in football. So what's our vibe from this interview session with Tim Walton? And, and it's, you know, guys like everybody's got a different philosophy, right? Everybody's got a different personality, a different way of going about things. Kerry Combs uh, personality wise, not the same as Larry Johnson, but, you know, you had a handle on Larry Johnson pretty quickly, too, not only because of what he did at Penn State, but because of what his 
group very quickly started to do at Ohio State. And for Tim Walton, you know, he did come in at a time, the, a crucial time for a position group. And then the people who were maybe we thought were the most secure in that position group struggled. Uh, whether that was Denzel Burke early in the year, whether it was Cam Brown through the injuries and things that he had, whether it was Jordan Hancock not being able to play at all. So uh, just a very kind of topsy-turvy year for him. And I don't know how fair it is to put a lot of that on him. It's probably also fair to put some of it on the guy who's running the room. So I, I think you're looking for two things in year two. Number one, those fundamental issues, and as much as injuries played into them, they were kind of rampant uh, at the top of that depth chart. Those things have to be corrected in year two. I don't think we can be talking about cornerback being a a problem of just like fundamental play in the second year, the way that we were in that first year. And uh, number two is is what impact does he start to make in recruiting? And you know they brought in two promising guys at cornerback that that people seem very enthused about. One who's here already in Jermaine Matthews, one in Calvin Simpson Hunt who gets here in the summer, but the, the, the upside is clearly there for those guys. I know Doug, you were asking him about freshman corners and we can talk about that more later, but to me, that's, it, there's sort of a dual thing that he's going to be judged on in the short term. It's, it's, do you correct those mistakes from last year, but are you also developing the bottom of this room to get back up to what the Ohio state standard has been at cornerback now for the past two decades? I don't want to be on unfair alert, Stephen, but I'm on, moderate alert for a guy who was in the NFL, I think the previous 13 years. Now also in the mid two thousands early, I mean, this guy was defensive, the, the defensive coordinator at mm-hmm. Miami, you know, like this was like a, this is a big time dude. And again, you go to the NFL, you earn your place in the NFL. So I'm not going to drop the BD word here. I'm not going to do that because I don't, I don't think that's fair, but I always have, well, you guys know what it is, right? The BD yeah. word. It's not like it's not like a naughty. It's Wait, not like the naughty BD word. Like like BD's Mongolian barbecue. I love Mongolian barbecue, but not too Mongolian. Just like anything, I, I like that kind of food, but I just want it Disneyfied. But who loves you? You love the Mongolian barbecue, Nathan, oh, right? Hundred percent. Stephen, where are you on Mongolian barbecue? I love Mongolian barbecue. Oh my it's just god! You going, Let's go. Lo- it was next- you. Go- no, I say we, we. Nathan and I are saying we love Mongolian barbecue. You're saying you like barbecue, just not too much Mongolian. So you just well, like barbecue. But no, Mongolian no, 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 no. Is just stir fry. Yeah, yeah no, 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 yeah, no, no, no. I want the stir. But the thing I like about Mongolian barbecue is that you're in control because you put in the veggies you want, you pick the sauce yeah. you want, and and again, there's some things that I don't want in my food to be in control like that. And I very like much, watching people cook my food. Yeah, it's very much for the picky eater. It's one of those restaurants yeah. for the picky eaters. I love it. Do you guys I, yeah. bang the gong? Do you hit the gong when you're there? Uh, I, I usually leave the gong alone. But it's it's the kind of place where you'll see a guy just walk up with like an overflowing bowl of just steak yeah. and chicken and throw it up there. Like, yeah. that's, that's what I'm eating today. <laughs> no yeah. veggies. <laughs> yeah. I, I would – I think that's a reasonable interview question. There's a lot of things that, you know, when I'm always – I've thought about sort of creating like a – like a baseline, like 20 question interview. And then we try to have former players or people on like, you just ask everybody the same questions all the time. And what is your bowl of choice at Mongolian barbecue? I think is very indicative of what kind of person you are. What kind of sauce do you put on it? How many veggies do you put in? Do you want it overflowing? Do you mix your meats? Do you cross the streams of the meat or do you go one meat at a time? So, and I do hit the gong. I, I love hitting the gong. 
who doesn't love hitting the gong? You got to pay a dollar. You got to give a tip. Can't just hit the gong. But my kids, it was always hitting the gong was as exciting as getting the food. So BDs, if we found out after the fact, it was like, oh, what does that stand for? If you went up and you're like, hey, what does the BDs stand for in BDs Mongolian barbecue? And they were like, Bill Davis. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> what? Jesus. Founding this restaurant was what he did while he was supposed to be coaching Ohio State's defensive backs <laughs> or linebackers. I mean, at least he did something successful. Hey, where's coach? Uh, where's coach? And like he's like refilling the green peppers. It's like, oh guys, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> Just, uh, I don't know. Do some push-ups. Concocting some more. Sauce formulas to put on the wall. <laughs> His expense report is just Mongolian barbecue for recruits. <laughs> well, he's not—he's not sitting down eating with them. They're just making their own food. He's in the back taking yeah. care of this. No, right? And it's not. Yeah, he gives he gives the recruits twenty percent off, but they still got to pay a little bit. Come on, Bill's trying to make a living here. Bill Davis's Mongolian barbecue. Uh, so it's, it's that easy to just take one of these episodes completely off the rails. That's like ten, five minutes. We're never going to get. Back. I love it. God, people, yeah. if you haven't been to a Mongolian barbecue, you got to go. So in the end, I'm not going to do that to Tim Walton, but Stephen, like I am very, I, I'm curious sometimes because coaching NFL players and coaching college players is a very different thing. And it relates to recruiting and the relationships you build with 18 and 17 year olds then. And it relates to the development when you get here of how you build up 19 and 20 year olds and get the best out of them. And I think Bill Davis never got it. And I think Bill Davis knew that. And he went back to the NFL. And so I'm not saying Tim Walton can't do it because he did it before. It's how he got to the NFL, but he hasn't done it in a long time. And he gets some credit for a couple of the guys they brought in in this class. They also lost a guy to a flip. And as Nathan said, like, you know, we talked about cornerback problems a lot this season, but we didn't talk about Tim Walton a lot, but ultimately you're in charge of your room. So like, what's, where should fans be with the Tim Walton view right now? So I think there's a couple of ways that you can talk about assistant coaches and whether or not they're good at their jobs. I think he's a very good evaluator of talent. And Jermaine Matthews and Kavlin Simpson Hunt are proof of that. And I think that's a decade being in the NFL where all you're doing is looking at film, so you know what you're looking at. Jermaine Matthews was not a five a top fifty recruit when he got offered by Ohio State. He was barely he was a mid level three star recruit that Tim Walton challenged to say, Hey, come prove that you are one an Ohio State football player. And then he came he went came and did it. He offered him. He committed thirty days later, um, as I've written about and texted about and is, is kind of known at this point. Um, and six months later, Jermaine Matthews is one of the 50 best players in the country. That's good evaluating to me. Calvin Simpson Hunt was like top 175, something like that. You know, it, it was a, it was interesting, but they flipped them from Texas Tech. It's not like they flipped them from Florida or USC or Alabama or something. So it's a quality pickup, but I don't think anybody was jumping over the moon about it. Then you start, then you click on the tape and go, Oh, that's a dude. He might come in here and make some noise in here. And he's a track guy. He's got 10, six speed. So that's a guy to keep an eye on there. And now he's a top 80 recruit. So it's like, okay, from an evaluation standpoint, he checks off that box. Every other box, it's very hard right now to decide if he's good or not because that caveat of so many guys were hurt that you don't really know how much development was there because guys are in and out the lineup. I mean, Denzel Burke's having surgery in the middle of the week while they're practicing and then deciding whether or not he's going to play on that Saturday. So it is kind of a hold off with the development standpoint. But I think from an evaluator standpoint, he's really good. I think he's a decent recruiter. Um, 
can you repeat that performance that you had in 2023 with this 2024 class now that you are starting from scratch and not trying to play catch up with guys can you go get the five star we'll see with that but with the development this is I think the most crucial spring and fall that Tim Walton's going to have here because Denzel Burke's going to be healthier Jordan Hancock's going to be healthier Jaya Brown got a chance to do some things and then you just brought in a guy um Davison um Davison um Ogbison I'm, I'm saying it correctly. It's going to take a oh, while. Ig- yeah, Igbo yeah, Nissen okay. from Ole Miss. I, I, I know. I just, I'm very cognizant of that now. I, you brought him in as a guy who played a lot as a freshman. You've got talent. Can you go develop it? And can we see a better production on field in, on Saturday when we get to the fall? Because you've got options. I think I don't think he had a lot of options last year. It was either play a guy who's maybe 50% healthier, a guy who had never done the job before. And that's he's got a little bit more than that this year. And Ryan Day, I think, did give Tim Walton credit for going and getting Calvin Simpson Hunt out of Texas. A lot of times Mm -hmm. we're always asking about that with the new assistant. Hey, did you go grab a guy who wasn't going to be an Ohio State guy no matter what? And, like, I don't think Justin Fry has grabbed a guy yet like Calvin Simpson Hunt to say, like, hey, like, why is this guy here? It's like you identified him and you went and got him. And so that's a plus for Tim Walton. So I do think I do think he has some things where you could say, okay, okay. Do we get a vibe, Nathan, of what like Tim, what Tim Walton thought of the season for the corners? Like, did he? And, and it's difficult because everybody is individual, and then but then you do end up judging a group collectively. What was his opinion on how that went? Well, I think the opinion came up, up more in the way he was talking about a lot of things. It wasn't necessarily a an encompassing opinion on that season. But number one, the idea that they they have to have a bunch of guys ready because of what they went through last year, that depth cost them. Although we've also talked about how, again, it wasn't like the guys that they put in behind the known starters who were sometimes having the problem. Sometimes it was the known starters who had their own injury issues that affected that. But, and then also, but number two is just a greater idea. I mean, he was there for like 20 some minutes and the number of times the the idea of like competition came up or competitiveness mm-hmm. or increasing the competition mm-hmm. in that room, like raising the level of competition in that room. You know, it, it came up, I think, most directly in terms of there was a moment where somebody started to ask a question about Denzel Burke and referred to him as like a locked in starter. And he's like, well, hold on. Like he's a returning starter, but like nobody's yep. locked in. Like everybody's got a this into August, September, got to compete to be a starter on this team. And I think that's the right attitude to have that like the, the level of performance for everybody, again, factoring in the, the, the injury that he had, it was not there that you can just give. Nobody should assume anything at this point, whether that's Davis and Igben Eason coming in as a starter from the SEC, whether that's Denzel Burke, who's been a two-year starter here. I think there's a, a new battle between whatever seven scholarship guys are going to end up being here. Uh, six or seven, and that's how you determine your starter. I think that's what they've – I don't know that's something they've learned from this past year, but something that became very starkly apparent this past year was that it was both – they are short on numbers, but the numbers are what they are. The guys aren't just falling out of trees who are like NFL or Ohio State caliber cornerbacks. So they got one. They were were fortunate to find one in Igbonison, but now it's a matter of ratcheting up the competition in that room and raising the level of play in that room. Because that's what's been lagging there, and it's been lagging since 2019. You said when we were playing this podcast, Nathan, that Jim Knowles talked about some secondary stuff. Was that mostly safety stuff because it's a safety-driven defense, or did Jim Knowles have opinions about the corners that factored in? 
from my recollection, it was mostly safety stuff. Um, looking back through, yeah, it was very, okay. very much largely safety stuff. I mean, with with corner with safety, there's a lot of questions about like who's going to fit where, and um, you've got more maybe brand new bodies. Where at corner, it's more just about. Now, the, I think the one place where he was talking about corner was something we talked about yesterday was just his general concept with the defense of that that emphasis on technique and that emphasis on raising the baseline of, of performance. And I think that applies to cornerback probably more than it applies to any other position. Walton kind of went down that road as well. He talked a lot about just the ability to turn and look for the ball and make a play for the ball and how much of that is technique versus how much of that is just being able to naturally do it. There is a natural feel in that type of stuff. And when he did get asked about Jermaine Matthews, that's where he went with it. He just has a natural ability to do mm. that. So it, it didn't feel like guys had a natural ability to do that a lot last year. Maybe Jordan Hancock had it, but we never got a chance to see it because he was never healthy. So in the name of competition, when you're having a defense like this, that's putting corners on islands time and time again, where you de- probably do value guys who can make a play on the ball more than anything else. When you now have competition, can those guys rise to the cream? Can the cream rise to the top in a way maybe it didn't get to happen last year once the injuries fell apart? It's like, well, who else are you going to play? Everybody else is, you know, in the tent or dealing with injury stuff and they're not healthy. So does it feel like spring football at corner is going to be throw everybody out there and see what happens? Because you, as you said, Nathan, there are two veteran guys who have played a lot. There's some young guys on the team who haven't played all that much. And then there's two dudes coming in as true freshmen who, I don't know. It's hard to expect, but Denzel Burke popped in spring football as a true freshman and wound up starting in game one. So if there's an opportunity and it feels like there's just, we don't want to get of our hell ahead of ourselves with Matthews and Simpson hunt, but it feels like there is some athletic profile. It feels like there's some dog in those guys. Maybe just like there was in Denzel Burke that like Denzel Burke showed up and was like, okay, like I'm ready to go right now. Are the, is it just going to be Tim Walton? If he's saying like, even the most veteran guy doesn't have anything locked up. Roll them out, let them go, and let's see what we got. That really, maybe more than any other position, spring football is sort of square one at corner. Yeah, other than maybe some of those positions on the offensive line. Yeah, I think that that it probably applies to, to cornerback. I think the most important thing we heard about cornerback last week was when Ryan Day read off the list of players who were unavailable for the spring. He didn't name any cornerbacks. Now, we don't know mm-hmm. if there's a guy like Denzel Burke with the stuff that he had lingering, whether that's going to affect anything. But I also think that that Burke's uh, – I thought Burke was playing better at the end of the year, and I thought he was healthier at the end of the year, and I don't think that's a coincidence. So he may be in good position to have a, a full spring. A guy like Jordan Hancock just, just so desperately needs a, a healthy spring, I think, to get his feet back under him. Not, I mean, not, yes, literally he had a leg problem. I'm trying to make a pun there. But like just to get his his foundation set again and be able to, to build on what he had started last year. I, that's the, the place where this, this – group needs to start because any position group, even if you like what they've got from some younger guys like Jair Brown and the way that he was able to step in last year on very short notice as a true freshman and hold his own, like that, that tells you that the, the, he can help make that room more stable. But I think the best thing for this room is if a guy like him starts to look like a luxury because he's maybe a little bit buried behind guys who are really performing well above him. I think so there's typically an order for how we, we get certain positions on certain days. This is the one position group that I hope we get a lot later in the spring, maybe closer mm. to the spring, the spring game, just because I think the most important question with the cornerbacks is just being able to ask players, yo, who's making plays? You know, who's getting picks? 
who's batting the ball down, who's getting tackles in the open field. And you can't ask that two days in the spring practice because you're going to get the, well, you know, we're just learning stuff. It's fundamentals. But if they've got eight, nine, ten practices under their belt, that's probably four or five practices where they just went live and got competitive. And then they, if, if we get to that and it's like we're two days before the spring practice and we're getting the cornerbacks and we're asking guys, hey, who's making picks? And somebody goes, Jermaine Matthews has like seven picks. You know, Jordan Hancock had like five picks in one practice. Nobody can catch a ball on Jair Brown. Even Marvin Harrison is struggling to get to shake him. That's interesting to me because that of when we talk about the secondary and the lack of just production there, it's it didn't feel like the talent was up to par. There weren't guys making Ohio State level, NFL level plays. So if we get halfway through the spring and we're hearing stuff like that, that's when I think you can start to get excited about what this cornerback room might be, regardless of who the names are. I don't care if it's a freshman and a sophomore or it's Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock or it's Davis and Igbenosin, regardless of who it is. If we get to the end of spring and it feels like there's two guys whose names are constantly being churned out by coaches and by players, that's an exciting place for Ohio State to be because then you can build up the rest of the room throughout the summer and fall camp. It does feel like, Nathan, that this could be one of those where when we get a little window into something and we see the corners are just running through drills and the first two guys in line are Jair Brown and Jermaine Matthews and we're all going to be freaking out. Right, mm. like it's just going to be like, what is the morsel? Like, oh, what does that mean? I can't believe. Oh, what? Because I, I think you make a good point, Stephen. The idea of like, how do you decide who should play? I don't know. Who knocks passes down in practice? Who has tight coverage on a Mecca Buka on a crossing route? Like, you just have to show it. It's a lot. I do think in the end, a lot of this stuff, especially even when you have guys who play, it's like, let's go eleven on eleven and see what's up. Right. Let's do these one on one corner receiver drills and see what's up. There's you're not going to find out any other way, Nathan, because Tim Walton knows what these guys have put down on film. And it feels like his conclusion after the film is let's go and see what you got right now. So that makes it interesting and it makes it fun. But we're also going to be scraping for every cornerback morsel we can possibly get. Well, yeah. And similarly, we'll see how much we can see. But to kind of follow on Steven's thought, I hope we get the receivers early in camp because that's one where that we're not going to learn a lot yeah. about the starting group from who we get this spring because we know who they are very much, most likely, and they can tell us a lot about who's playing well at cornerback. I agree. Which is why if Jerry and Mike are listening to this, we're probably going to get the receivers and the yeah. cornerbacks yeah. on the exact same day <laughs> in the dead center middle. <laughs> receivers, cornerbacks, offensive line on the yeah. last day of spring. But like we're going to. We're going to talk to Julian Fleming or whatever, right? And it's yeah. going to be like, hey, Julian, yeah, you're good, whatever. I mean, I hope you're healthy. Like, you're a good player. Anyway, how do the corners look? Julian Fleming's going to be like, okay, yeah, yeah. Julian, could you just give us an individual breakdown on every cornerback on the roster? Like, we kind of we kind of know what your deal is. You're good. You might break out. Like, but tell us about the new guys because we just, we just don't know. And I wonder, like, I don't think Tim Walton knows. So how can we know when Tim Walton doesn't know? Because I think Tim Walton is – Probably sitting here saying, okay, well, I guess Denzel Burke probably is first in line on the first day of spring practice. But then after that, let's go and let's see what happens. going to be fun. Okay. Safety-driven defense. Safety talk next on Buckeye Talk. So this is where we're going to have some Jim Knowles influence along with the Perry Eliano conversation. So, Stephen, you were with Perry for a chunk of the time during the interview session. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I started there at the beginning. So yeah. So what what what's the vibe of how Perry Eliano thought the safety room played last season? Because again, like there were some good things, there were some tough moments. You kind of had, you know, Tanner McAllister and Ronnie Hickman were basically out there every down all season, and we saw the shift from Josh Proctor to Lathan Ransom pretty early. I don't even know what grade I would give the safeties for last year. So what was the vibe of how Perry Aliano thought it went? Yeah, he thought it went decent. Obviously, he got asked about Lathan Ransom falling down in the Georgia game and, you know, how Lathan handled that, how he handled that as a coach. And he, he tapered, it, tapered it the same way he typically tapers with guys made plays, but they also had some plays made against them. It what You can't really make a big deal out of either one of them. He, he does. He's a little coach speaky, too. But in like the Kerry Combs way of being Coach Beaky, where it's like motivational more than anything else. But he liked some of the stuff he saw, and there are some things that they obviously needed to work on. And this is kind of like the same thing with the cornerbacks. There's going to be a lot of fundamental work this this offseason, even if there's maybe more options of like moving guys around, who's going to play what position. Every position is kind of open right now, but it does feel like there's just going to be a lot of focus on fundamentals because while there were good moments, Lathan Ransom was almost a poacher child for, man, there's probably 10, 12, 13 really good moments, but there's also 10, 12, 13 moments where you were just like, "Mm, I'm not really sure what he's doing out there. What was the vibe from Knowles, Nathan, when he did talk about the safeties? And again, he's very involved in, in what their responsibilities are and what he's expecting from guys there. Yeah, it, it was just part of his lar- his larger conversation, like I said, about you know how much it's on him and on the rest of the staff to uh, yes, they're going to have to make some schematic adjustments, maybe or just or or some self scrutiny of, of of the scheme and the play calls, but also to to better prepare them to execute what's happening in this defense. And he was asked at one point, uh, "Do you think maybe you need to keep uh, a safety up top more and and not?" have you know yourself exposed as much as you did last year and his response to that was like i mean sure that's worth talking about but i can also show you a bunch of times where we did have safety help back there and that guy didn't do his job so it's it's both things and i think that's a fair way to look at it and then there's obviously a lot of of of, you know having conversations about some of these guys individually but I, i i still think that there is he still believes in the system. He still believes in in this being the safety-driven defense and the way that they have it aligned. And I think to some extent, he still wants to be just as aggressive as he was last season. But they also, you know, Ryan Day has basically given him a mandate based on the conversation or the, the, the interviews that he did last week that the, the, the big plays, especially the big play touchdowns, can't occur again, can't recur. And you remember the last time that he was saying things like that, you know, going in from one year to the next, when there was a problem with the defense, that didn't get fixed to start the next year, then changes happened. And I don't think, uh, I think Jim Knowles has more of a leash than that. I don't think you're you're swapping him out after (laughs) two games into the next year, but clearly like, you know, Ryan Day has set the standard here that that's a problem that has to be fixed. And Jim Knowles knows that anyway. So I think it's about, you know, just, you, you, you have now the structure, everybody is working from a, a, a more cohesive place in terms of knowing the system and knowing each other. And now you've got to coach guys up to just be better football players. So based off the conversations, but also with our intuition, and again, we don't need to go all the way down this path because we did this on the depth chart conversation. Who do we think is first up in spring as the three starting safeties? I think I could, what I could probably, I'm putting money on Sonny Styles and Lathan Ransom being in some positions, 
whether it's uh, Lathan Ransom at Adjuster and Sonny Styles at Bandit or Switch or Sonny Styles is at Cover Safety and or Lathan. Those two, I pretty feel confident that they would be out there. One, because Lathan Ransom's like the Denzel Burke of the safety room where he's the returning guy who's played real snaps for this team. And then Sonny Styles is Sonny Styles. You know, you don't throw that guy out there in the Georgia game and then take put him back onto the bench. Outside of that, I think there's just a list of names as we talked discussed on the depth chart. Whether um, Pod, whether it's Kai Stokes, um, whether it's the transfer from, from Syracuse, uh, I mean it's a deep room, so there's just a lot of guys that you can choose from there. So I, I think seeing who that third safety is out there, that first time we get to see a full eleven is going to be just as interesting as seeing who the first two corners are. So we may as well go a little bit guy by guy and we'll figure out how much coaches did or didn't say about them. Nathan, what was the Jihad Carter conversation? The transfer from Syracuse. Uh, did we get a scouting report at all from Perry, uh, Perry Eliano about what this guy potentially brings to the table? You know, uh, the, 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 I think the sentence that, that Noel said was he's a guy that has a lot of tools. It's a guy that played both okay. you know, in the box and high safety for Syracuse. And when Eliano's first word when asked about him was workmanlike, which I don't think he meant the way that people often use workmanlike. Cause that's almost like a damning with faint prayer, like a, a backhanded compliment. But what he really meant was he showed up and just worked his butt off. And that's what, you know, not, not assumed anything coming in as a guy who's played a lot at Syracuse, knowing he had to come in and sort of prove himself in this new room. So I think there is some versatility there uh, as to where he ends up. Eventually he is one of the guys who you would look at as being a, I mean, there's so many guys that I think you would look at as maybe being a factor at, at multiple positions. And um, Perry Allen said something about, you know, the, the cream rises to the top or something. And I, there's going to be some interesting battles in that room between now and September to decide not just who the top three are, but like where those guys fit in. Because uh, you could be winning, you could be competing for a, a starting spot at multiple positions at the same time, probably in that room. How about Josh Proctor? This, again, is just a, 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 on the list of things I don't have a handle on. Exactly what, like, if you ran through Josh Proctor's options after last season and said, one is go to the NFL, one is transfer somewhere where you're almost sure you're going to start and make sure you get good film for the NFL, and the other one is stay at Ohio State. I don't know. I think I would have maybe picked Ohio State third on that list, just in what, where I would have guessed where Josh Proctor's head was at, but he stays. And this is a guy, right? I mean, this is, this guy was a top 100 recruit. We certainly have liked the things he's done at times. It felt like when he got hurt in 2021, they really missed him. And then he kind of mostly lost his job in 2022. What did Perry Eliano or Jim Knowles have to say about what Josh Proctor might mean in 2023. He's a guy that they respect and, and a guy that I, you know, a, a word that kept coming up was just how uh, athletic they know he is, how much he, he's clearly a good football player. I, I think is the way they look at him. And it's just a matter of it never really working out for him. And that's why I think I can understand why it maybe is a hard thing for him to walk away. There's guys who get into that fourth and fifth year and never get their chance. But like Josh Proctor is always been on the verge of his chance. Like he was stuck behind Fuller a little bit early on and, and flashed some things those first two years. And then the 2020 season comes along and for whatever reason, they pick uh, Marcus Hooker over him. And that kind of 
ended up being sort of a lost season until he got that job late in the year. And then he's a guy that's showing so much promise going into 2021 and he breaks his leg. And then he's starting to come around in 2022 and he had to prove himself to Knowles because he wasn't around in the spring. And it seemed like he'd done that. And then Misses miss one tackle, Lathan Ransom's on the field, and and it's Lathan Ransom's job basically the rest of the year. And like, so he's a guy that is he's been able to taste it. He's been so close to it the, these past three years, and I think that would be a hard thing to walk away from, especially when you didn't get to have really much of any role last year. So I agree with you that it, I thought it was the the third most likely outcome, and I don't know what it means for him this year. I think they like having his his potential in the room. But I don't know that it's going to be – he's going to have to prove himself that he he can overtake uh, other guys because, like like I said, like every position in that in that room, every each of those three positions should have strong competition to decide who gets on the field. And when you've got someone – like if you have to make a decision between him and Sonny Styles, and as much as you respect Proctor, there's so much upside with Styles that you want to get him on the field and start building towards that. I think that's a factor in that decision on who plays. You don't want to discount a guy like that. You certainly would take veteran, talented players on your team. It's not a bad thing for Ohio State that he came back. I don't know, Stephen, if it reminds me. I was just like relooking at the linebacker depth chart from last year when we were talking about all the guys in the linebacker room. It was like one of the names mm-hmm. we would throw in. It was like Taraja Mitchell, mm-hmm. who had kind of had a role and then lost a role. And then maybe you thought he would leave, but he stuck around. And then and then it's like, oh, it just he was a non-factor. And now he's gone on to somewhere else and we'll maybe have a chance to play somewhere else. Certainly, I think that seems possible for Josh Proctor that we wind up talking about him and then it's like, okay, well, he just is not a starter and then he doesn't play very much. But I don't know. Maybe there's something left there. I just, I I think it's just, is it wait and see or do you have a Proctor vibe in your mind, Stephen? No, I, I think the Taraja Mitchell comparison is probably spot on. A guy who started last year starting as an older guy who we had been waiting on for forever to be able to flash what we thought he could be. And then quickly, more quickly than Taraja, at least Taraja was a little more gradual, but quickly lost his job and never got it back and just ended up being a special teams guy the last two years. I think that's probably what's on the table for Proctor. The one difference is there's enough openings to compete for a job in a way that probably wasn't on the table for Taraja this year because the guys who stole his job came back, you know, in, in that order, I mean, Cody Simon, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers were all back a year older and a year better. So it was, there was no, <laughs> he got blocked by guys who were older than him. Then he got surpassed by guys who were younger than them. And then he got blocked by the younger guys. There's two open safety spots. Regardless of what the two spots are, there's going to be two open safety spots if we're expecting Latham Ransom to be a returning starter. So there's at least a chance for Josh Proctor to compete for a job over the next nine months. But more than likely, he's probably a voice, an elder voice in the room and a guy on special teams. So that's Proctor. You have Jihad Carter, who's played. You have at Syracuse, you have Lathan Ransom, who's played here. Those are like the oldest guys. I think the two guys, and then you have three young safeties who it feels like probably are just not factors right now with the way things work out with where they are in the safety room. And I want to save Sonny Styles and Kai Stokes. So Nathan, that leaves two other guys who it's hard to believe they're entering their fourth seasons in the program. And it feels like we're still waiting. We're still waiting for the possibilities of what could be with Cam Martinez and Court Williams. And now when you're in year four and you're here and Court especially has been derailed by injuries, 
you get to a point, Nathan, where I don't know, like at some point, if if it hasn't happened, is it going to happen? But man, I think there's a lot of people listening to this with Cam Martinez as a high school quarterback who you just needed to find the right position for him. And man, this guy just knew how to play football. And he, I think he had agility and smarts and quickness. And man, you felt like if you could figure out where to play him, you might really have something. And then Court Williams, the conversation, we've had 10 different layers of this conversation over time. He's a great leader. He's a captain. He feels like maybe he could have been like a primary guy at the heart of this defense. And then he's been hurt. And also when he's been playing, like he has not won a job. So I, what was there, did Perry Aliano or Jim Knowles talk at all? And it's hard with Court because he's hurt about Court Williams or Cam Martinez and like kind of where they are. He didn't come up. Uh, Court Williams didn't come up in the uh, from what I heard from Knowles, uh, but he did talk about uh, Cameron Martinez. And, and I think both of these guys are in the same category because you know we know that that Williams has been hurt a lot. Uh, Cam Martinez has had some of those issues too, and he said something along the lines of. Um, you know, when he's been healthy, he's been really impressed. He used the term sky's the limit for Martinez. I mean, that. so I think there's a recognition there of the talent, but that's kind of how it's supposed to be at Ohio State to some extent. Like, you, you're supposed to have a ton of talent, and now it's a matter of which guys uh, seize it. And, uh, and both of those guys have run into some issues here and there. It's just – it's a tough spring, I think, for Court Williams to be out completely. It's not his fault – but you've got an, a guy coming in who has already proved himself a little bit at the Power 5 level in Jihad Carter. You've got, as as we've said, the holdover in in Lathan Ransom. You've got the promise of Sonny Styles that has you know been been bubbling there for a while. Uh, it's There just aren't a lot of spots. I mean, there are to some extent, but then, as, as Steven says, you're really competing for two spots, and, and Court Williams in particular might be the one who – doesn't have as much versatility as to mm-hmm. where he could fit as some of these other guys. So uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see more, I guess, as that develops over the, the summer and into the preseason. But um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what to expect from either of those guys, frankly, just because, as Steven said, like it's there was a time when you were held back by the older guys, and now it's more that these young guys haven't had the bad injury luck that he's had and have, have proved themselves. It feels like these 2020 safeties are just the 2018 linebackers where the Mm -hmm. idea of them has kept them in these types of conversations longer than maybe they should have been. Now, the reasons why are different. The linebackers is because there were a bunch of veterans that were in front of them while these safeties, it's just been injuries. But even in the small doses we've gotten to see, I don't think it's been so great that the idea of what they could be should still exist to that same level. Because I think the best thing we've seen from court is that Indiana game where it was like, Oh, that's what it looks like when it's popping. But then we saw it against Utah and it was kind of iffy. And unfortunately the last thing people have seen from Cameron Martinez is that Michigan game where it just, his coverage just wasn't up to par. And so I, 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 the idea of what they could always be was interesting in their first two years because Cameron Martinez felt like it did feel like he had some untapped athleticism there. If you just got him in a situation where he could focus on this and not just have to be a team's best player. So he's playing quarterback while court Williams, the idea with him was always this position that never actually came into fruition at Ohio state, but we've, they've moved on. There are two defensive coordinators now removed from that idea of what the bullet was while the cover safety 
cover corner, slot corner, whatever. It feels like Cameron Martinez has never really settled into a role and other guys have passed him because of that. So I, I mean, they're in the mix, especially Cameron Martinez and he'll be healthy this spring, but I'm not really expecting those are, if you tell me right now, like, Hey, who are you expecting to win a job? They wouldn't be at the top of that list. There's maybe three or four or five names I would list before them at this point. I guess it was the Toledo game that maybe Tanner McAllister was out and Cam Martinez played a bunch. Cause mm-hmm. I remember talking to Cam Martinez after a game and it was like, this was it. He yeah. finally had his moment. He played 44 snaps in the Toledo game and he graded out at 75.7. Those were both his most snaps and his highest PFF grade of the year. And then the rest of the year snaps by game. Three zero six twenty two one fifteen nineteen fourteen four and seven, like he played, he got a chance, he played well, and then it just like he just they didn't play him <laughs> the rest of the year because Tanner McAllister was better and he was the backup there and they just like kind of didn't take Tanner McAllister off the field, so. It's kind of a do or die spring, probably for those guys. And like you said, it's really rough for Court Williams that he's hurt. You know, you can make an impact while you're hurt. Cam Babb made an impact on this team while being hurt. And he was as highly rated or high, more highly rated as a recruit than Court Williams was. So it doesn't mean that you aren't, that you don't have value. But man, we all would have loved to see Cam Babb the athlete, not just Cam Babb the person. Man, we'd all love to see. Court Williams, the player, not just Court Williams, the leader, right? And so I, but I just like, I don't, I don't know. Which leaves us the other two interesting guys in the safety room, because again, it doesn't feel like the true freshman maybe would work in as much as they might in the corner spot. Steven, Sonny Styles and Kai Stokes. Sonny Styles is a top 20 national recruit. Kai Stokes is in the 300s, but Kai Stokes has been a guy who's caught people's eye. He's caught your eye, I know, Steven, since the moment he got here. Mm hmm. I don't know that I think it's impossible that it's like, oh, what's happening in the safety room? It's like, oh, well, Sonny Styles and Kai Stokes are definitely both starting, and then we'll let the, all the veterans compete for the other spot. Is that Do we have a chance to see not just one second-year safety pop this spring in Sonny Styles, but maybe see two pop? Yeah, I would not be shocked. It feels like with Kai Stokes, it's just the opportunity to do so more than the inability to do so because – I mean, we heard about him all last spring, and then the spring game shows up, and he almost picks off C.J. Stroud, and he's making plays that entire time. I mean, even in garbage moments when the games are completely over and we're you know buried in our computers trying to finish stories, I would look up sometimes, and it's Kai Stokes making a play. He forced a fumble this past season. So it feels like anytime he's gotten on the field, he's shown opportunities to make plays. And then obviously, I think the most the interesting thing about Sonny Styles is the athletic profile is, yes completely off the charts that doesn't look normal but Perry Eliano pointed out more to his football IQ and his mind more than anything else and so if he's pairing it's part of the reason why he was put in the position to play against Georgia because he got here in the spring and he picked up stuff so quickly and he put his head down and went to work the whole workman style thing that by the time they got to the Georgia game where from just a physical aspect it made sense to have a guy of that athletic profile out there covering covering Brock Bowers he was actually ready to do so and he was pretty decent for a guy who was supposed to be in high school and just turned 18 a month before the game. I thought he was pretty decent. So what does that look like this spring? Now that he's getting a full spring under his belt. But the athletic stuff is what it is. But when a coach starts pointing out other things as being just as impressive as what your athletic profile is, that's when I think you get a special player. 
So from, from both of their perspectives, it feels like it's less about can they do it and, and more about are they going to have the opportunity to do so? And this spring is where you get that yes, and let's see if they can both take advantage of it. What what other kind of vibe, Nathan, did you get from about Stokes and or Styles from Eliano and or Knowles? You know, with, with Stokes, I think it was – again, just kind of reaching back to what things they were saying last spring, like the, the impression that they had of him back then was legitimate. It wasn't a, a flash in the pan. They, 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 they found out that this guy could play. It was just a matter of uh, that first year, you've got such veteran guys with Hickman and McAllister who knew Knowles' defense in and out. And even what, what Ransom had, you know, was going into his third year. So uh, the opportunity just seems much more there for him to have a breakthrough this year. And with styles, um, yeah, I think they're almost in a position at times where they're trying not to talk him up too much yep. <laughs> to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the exact quote from Knowles was, Sonny's going to be somewhere. And I really think that he's an interesting guy because the, the phrase that we use so much on this pod about, you know, uh, what are you doing out of strength versus what are you doing out of weakness? Like, do they put him at the place that emphasizes him the most? Where, like, you almost have you know, Sonny Styles is on the field. So like where, where can Sonny Styles mm-hmm. be the most Sonny Styles and blossom into what he could become? Not to, you know, put too much expectations on him, but they're already pretty high. Um, but, you know, Eliano was bringing up the, the concept of, you know, why was he on the field against Georgia as much as he was? Because he proved that he should be uh, over the other options that they had. Like there was a reason he was on the field going up against those those tight ends and and doing as well as he did and then getting good marks from him and, and Knowles for, for what he did in that scenario, which is a lot for a, a true freshman of his age. So the, the nobody comes in with higher uh, – with like more buzz right now, I would say. And now it's just a matter of figuring out in this safety mix – where does he fit the best? And and they're not really – it's hard to pin them down on that. I tried to do it back in Atlanta, even with Sonny. Like, hey, like, where are you going the most? And he said, I'm playing everywhere. So we'll, we'll see where that ends up. It, I, and I don't know, is it is it a determination, like I said, of like, well, he clearly is the best. This is what brings the best out of him. Or is his versatility such a strength that you can say – well, he could do this or he could do this, but this guy is clearly better at this. So Sonny Styles goes there. I don't know. We'll find that yeah. out in the next six months. Yeah, I think that is interesting because I, I he could legitimately play all three safety spots. He's got the athleticism, the size to do all, all that, and the instincts to do all of it. So does where he end up decide what you do with the other two spots in a way to kind of echo what Nathan is saying here? If, if putting him at cover safety means that you're, Second and third best safeties are Lathan Ransom at a gesture and I don't know, Josh Parker, just to throw names out there at, at Bandit, then you know, you put Sonny Styles at, at cover safety. But if Kai Stokes is showing you as a cover safety, he can play that role and be solidified in it, or even the adjuster safety, then maybe you put Jihad Carter if you then you put Jihad Carter and you put Lathan Ransom on the field with him and down on the line there, it's almost like where do we put Sonny Styles? cool. That's where he's playing. And then we can figure out everybody else from there because that is the upside of the room. And if he can play all three spots, it feels like it gives you so much creativity to do things with other people. It is interesting. The conversations of, Hey, maybe Jack Sawyer needs to settle in at one spot. We got to figure that out. Or, Hey, maybe Josh Fryer on the offensive line, he can be, could he play guard or tackle? But I think a lot of times they want to, they want to settle a guy in again, Sonny Styles should be 
an early enrolled freshman getting ready for spring football for the first time. It's just that mm-hmm. he graduated early. And so I, it, I, they do have to figure that out. The idea that he could play all three spots. I, I don't, they don't, I would imagine they don't want him playing all three spots. And I think the idea this spring of figuring out what else you have, which will contribute to the decision of where you play Sonny, I think it'd probably be good for everybody if by the time you get to August, it's like, that's where Sonny is. He's not moving. He's taking most of the first string snaps there, and that's what we're going to do. And so in the end, Nathan, this idea, if they have, um, again, looking at our Cleveland.com scholarship chart, you have Jaden Bonsu, Malik Hartford, and Cedric Hawkins as true freshmen that we haven't really talked about. I just don't think you should expect them to factor in. If we view Josh Proctor, Cam Martinez, and Court Williams as veteran wild cards that maybe could do something, but I don't know, then that leaves four guys for three spots. It's Lathan Ransom and Jihad Carter as veterans and Sonny Styles and Kai Stokes as young guys. If we think of those four for three spots, I don't know. You think Jim Knowles and Perry Eliano feel pretty good about their ability to figure out a pretty good first unit of those options. Yeah, I think reasonably. Yeah, I think so. And important things to remember here, two things, and I want to make sure that no one misunderstands with with Styles. I'm not suggesting that he would fall into some sort of thing where they're bouncing him around because they have definitely said the opposite of that. Noel Mm -hmm. said, we need to find him a home. He's got to find a place to play. And that's, I think, one of the main goals of the spring is to figure out a home for him. But, But also number two, uh, as much as they rotate up front, Knowles was on the record last year as saying he doesn't like to do that in the back end. He likes there to be a set group of guys back there because that's how you get in the flow of the game, at least from his read. So would they deviate from that in any way with with a with a four man thing or splitting a job somewhere? I I don't know. I think they should probably be open to that if they can get better play out of it. But if they don't think they're getting better play out of it, probably not. I think that is a definite. Solid foundation, though. I think where, what you're finding out last year, though, was that it wasn't that the they had a good foundation in the secondary, too, last year. Ronnie Hickman's going to be in the NFL. Tanner McAllister could maybe be on NFL rosters. Lathan Ransom was good. Like, they had a good foundation last year, but that foundation wasn't up to snuff in the biggest games of the year against teams that could really attack them vertically. So I think they'll have they – can, they can expect a similar baseline. I think it's whether or not they approach a higher ceiling. That's still TBD. Okay. We wanted to run through the safeties and the corners because on Wednesday's podcast, we did linebackers with Jim Knowles and James Laurinaitis. And on Tuesday's podcast, we did defensive line with Larry Johnson. We made this defense week and we wanted to bring those uh, interviews to you guys. The plan for Friday is to come back and talk about what Mark Pantone said as the Ohio State recruiting guru. And then we still got Parker Fleming holstered. And I think we'll have a Parker Fleming discussion next week at some point. But for now, we would direct you to direct you to cleveland.com slash OSU, where you can always read what's going on with the Ohio State Buckeyes. You can become a tech subscriber at 614-350-3315. And of course, we want you to subscribe to Buckeye Talk so you don't miss any episodes. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.